0: Very excited to share with you God's word. Now there there is this weird factor, and I just have to warn you guys about this. This isn't something that I I, I like. Uh, it's, it's just a thing, and you've just got to know this about me. This is strange, I know, but it's real. If the temperature is above a certain temperature level on the platform, my glasses fog up automatically if you ever see me take my glasses off that means I can't see anymore but if I take them off I'm lost I I mean I'm lost I know you can feel free to pray for me my eyes to be healed so I don't have to wear glasses anymore but I get lost and so this morning something happened to our AC up here and uh and I we just fixed it just now but my glasses when I was up here just went, totally fogged up so if that happens again will you guys just bear with me and all that and and uh just just let me take my glasses? is that cool that's right. So you get to see one of my Many fatal flaws, but again, thank you uh, for sharing about next Sunday, Mother's Day. It is going to be a fantastic day. A little bit of surprise: Rebecca, my wife Rebecca, and my son Ian are going to be tag teaming with me for the sermon for Mother's Day next Sunday. So I can't wait for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, and again, every woman who's here, every single woman is going to receive special honor, special gifts, and it's going to be it's going to be a fantastic day. Well, get your Bibles open to Matthew chapter number. 5, verse 13, Matthew 5, 13, and get your place there and hold it there. Uh, just while you're looking that up, I want to let you know that my Tim at 12 continues every Wednesday. Uh, I'm in kind of a mega series right now, which is based upon a lot of questions that you guys sent in. I give you three topics. And, uh, and those topics were uh, asked me questions about the supernatural about uh, prophecy and about the uh, the end times and so I received a lot of questions on that and and so I'm beginning to answer a new question starting this Wednesday and this Wednesday really it, it answers the succinct question it's, it's basically how could we address sin today because in today's culture as the person who asked the question uh, stated in today's culture a lot of people don't take the Bible as a final authority Authority. And so how do we do that? Do we do it through uh, philosophy or practical perspectives? Or how do we address sin in today's culture? So I'm going to talk about that beginning this Wednesday at noon. And if you miss it, if you can't join with me on the City Life app on YouTube or Facebook, you can always come back to YouTube and Facebook and check out the, uh, the 10 and 12 episode that's there. All right. Looking forward to that. Again, hold your place in Matthew 5, 13. We're going to read it together in just a few moments. But Jesus told us. Us while we're on this earth that we are to occupy until He comes. Now I've been telling you about that for months now, and that's just a reminder of of, of, of really a theme that God has put into my heart that that's uh, that I want it to get massaged into our hearts. That really that really means we're supposed to be doing business for Jesus while we're here. Uh, and 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 the truth is we're going to have rewards in eternity based upon how. And to the, what measure we actually did business for Jesus while we were on this earth, so I mean, you're here for a reason. you're not just here to take up space, earn a living, you know, raise a family, have fun, die, and go to heaven. That's not what it's all about. that's actually a really shallow way to live. And so again, this is a huge theme of ours right now, and today I'm still in that vein uh, about talking about how we how this is specifically how we can occupy until Jesus comes now. One of the challenges is that our culture as a whole, the world's culture, has shifted dramatically since my childhood. It has. And I'm older than most of you guys in here, so I do have a little more experience back there, but it has, the, the culture has shifted dramatically, and anyone who's my age or older, you can say, absolutely, you've seen it. I remember my parents saying the same thing from from, uh, from their days in, uh, in, in living on this earth and doing ministry, but it has shifted even more so now, and... uh you know, there, there used to be a season where people would say the best way to have a good witness for Jesus is to have a huge choir and a production and to and, and to, to just have a big Easter production and do all those things, and I'm all for that. I'm not against any of that. Others would say the best way to, to get Jesus into this culture, and it, those things did work in the past, uh, and they worked moderately today. Uh, Another one is we just need to have these huge conventions or conferences, and we need to bring all the people in from the community to go to them, but the problem is most people don't go to them. Other people say we need to get out in the streets and march for Jesus and yell and scream and and tell everybody, you know, sing praises in the streets, and hey, that's fine. Again, I'm fine with all of that, but I don't know if those are the most effective ways in today's culture to reach people. All right, and, and, and I'm going to challenge you with something today. I'm going to challenge it because I think the most eloquent way to display the power of a risen Savior in our lives is a group of people, a group of redeemed. People bought by the blood of Jesus whose lives are so radically different from the culture, so opposite of the culture of decay around us, that people would look at you and look at us, really, and say, obviously something really did happen 2,000 years ago because of the way that you live and because of the way that you are and because of how you act and walk and talk and the things that you do. So my challenge is the, the big challenge for today, and really it's not just for today, but it's for all time, is that we live our faith. We need to live it, live it. Again, that's why I call Occupy Till Jesus Comes. And the part of the challenge, though, right now, and I, I want to address it, and not in a despairing way, but I want to address it just to say it's real. Let's, let's just go ahead and talk about it. Uh, the, the oppression of today, it, it's really, really heavy. I know that. A lot of Christians uh, feel sad, Uh, they feel depressed, overwhelmed, confused, and just all the stuff of life seems to be taking priority over everything else. Uh, and, And in many cases, a lot of believers just simply feel that Christianity is losing ground in America, yet at the same time we're all still holding fast to our beliefs. We know what we believe in. We're holding fast to them. I mean, we believe and we know that Jesus Christ is the Lord of heaven. We believe and we know that God cares about everything that happens on this earth. We, we get that. We know that. We believe that. So, But the, the, those principles... <laughs> there goes my voice, <laughs> like, like I, my voice is changing again. But those principles that we believe in, for some reason they don't seem to transcend into the culture because of this ever-increasing what I call post-Christian culture in our world. And... Uh, the truth is, 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 if you are a culturally engaged Christian, if, if you are, if you're out there in the culture, you know what I'm talking about. You feel this tension on the job. You feel it in the city. You feel it uh, in politics. You feel it in simple conversations with people. And and in our culture of today, people will say, well, yeah, your, your personal faith is welcome. That's okay. You can, but But when you begin to express your convictions or declare ideas <laughs> about truth in any type of a public setting, what tends to happen in today's world is you will be considered uncouth. Uh, quite often, it even is taken to an extreme. Uh, we, we are sometimes seen as intolerant, uh, racist, homophobic, and out of touch, and many will say, well, you're just aligning yourselves with a political candidate, or you're just aligning yourselves with a news outlet, and, and we'll hear those things over and over in its an attempt just to shut you down. You guys know what I'm talking about right now. See, beliefs that uh, 20, even 20 years ago, that were considered uh, by the culture, even as biblically sound, and they were accepted by the culture, I guess you could say, in general, are usually today seen as opinions that are closed minded, combative, and extreme. And and really, if we're going to be engaged Christians, uh, a lot of times, we are seen as people not necessarily bringing, bearing good news. We're also often uh, seen as people who are uh, political or ideological warriors out to try to set up some type of a theocratic new government system, and and uh, and and the culture is resisting that. And so it's it's a it's a it's an attempt by the culture, and really I believe the enemy is behind it, to isolate and ostracize believers and Christians just to get you to stop, just to. Get Get you to shut your mouth, just to stop you from any of your action and activity. So, is it okay if we talk about that? All right, we're, we're going to, even if it's not okay, we're still going to talk about that today. All right, uh, I do have one little advantage. I'm the pastor up here, and so I, I get to do this. But, but I really do. I, I, I pray and I ask God for wisdom. And I've, I've had this message, this particular message, has kind of been boiling and it's been there in my heart for about a year. And I'm just anxious to share it with you today. Now. If we're going to talk about this, we need to go back in time. And many of you know I I love Christian history, and if we go back in time to uh, the first century A.D. when Jesus Christ was walking on the earth. This is before Christianity was launched. If you were to go back into ancient Israel, you would have found some interesting uh, issues that were happening. In fact, the truth is what we see in the New Testament is more like the culture of today than ever before. In fact, I believe that when you start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but especially get into Acts and the rest of of the New Testament, you're going to see a lot of echoes of what's really happening in today's culture. Making the scriptures more relevant today than they ever have been in the past. And for me, I'm happy about that. Now, but it's, it's, it's also a very challenging time. So when you look at what was in the first uh, four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those the four Gospels. Jesus is, is us here, and, and, uh, and, and he is seen by many as just a good man or a good teacher or a preacher. Some saw him as the Messiah. But, uh, but, but as he was walking around ancient Israel, uh, you have to understand, the heavy hand of Rome was upon Israel at that time. I mean, it was heavy. It was intense. And the Jews of that time, they were wrestling with a lot. Now, I know that today, we, a lot of times we look back and we look at the different sects of Jews and say, well, this particular group or that particular group, they they were just clueless. I would never act like that. How foolish, how ridiculous. But basically, those four groups are very clearly reflected in today's culture as well, which I want to draw a nice little parallel here for you today. See, because they were wrestling under the dominance of this Roman culture, and the Roman culture was one of, of, of decadence. It was one of bloodshed and violence. It was one of political uh, oppression and, and 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 literally they lived out blatant paganism and it was okay and it was good in their culture and so the Jews they, they, they were fighting against it so really what happened is education here the people of Jesus' time were really basically broken into four different sects, really five, but but I would say there were there were four uh, four sects. That's S E C T S, all right. Four sects of uh, of of your of your your Jewish people who were I guess you would call them the activists. And I want to give give you an example of those four because we see them in today's culture as well. The first of all, there were the Sadducees. The Sadducees. What they did is they made deals with the Romans. Uh, they worked with them. They wanted power, and they wanted influence and the control, and so they kind of worked deals with them. They Their lives were kind of a watered-down version of Judaism, and it was very popular at that time because it was a way to get along with everybody and and to and have your foot in the door just about everything. But, but what they did is they sold themselves out to the oppressing empire, and they accommodated it. And I guess you could say probably the pre-conversion Matthew, the guy who actually wrote the first book of the New Testament, he was probably in that camp right there. Now, most Christians, or there are some Christians who are like Sadducees today and and most of them, what they they do is they live in the world and they live of the world and they accommodate the ungodly culture and they're just right there in the middle of it because it's going to give them status and position. It's going to allow them to do their thing and they don't have to feel bad about it. So there are entire movements that are based upon that in Christianity today. Okay, that's one. Now here's a second one and the second one is the Pharisees. The Pharisees were very different than the Sadducees the Pharisees were basically separatists. Uh, they functioned, I guess you could say, as the, uh, the, the spiritual, cultural police. Uh, they were out there fighting hard against immorality and against faithlessness, and they were and they would take their they would take these legalistic stances and they would take them right into the public square. And they were strong and firm about it. And you know, within the group of, of Jewish believers as well, their their voices were often seen as very harsh because they were they were vocal and they were harsh. And uh, and <laughs> before coming to Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul was actually one of those. Uh, some believers and today's world are like Pharisees today. Uh, They're legalists who just actually pride themselves in uh, their own self-righteousness, and they put that self-righteousness out into the culture, and they put it into the church as well. So there's a second group. Now, there's a third group of what I would call the activist um, Jewish people at the time of Christ and the third group was called the Essenes. Now, the Essenes, they were so appalled at the ungodliness of the culture, they removed themselves from the city. Now, I know none of you guys are that way because you're here in the middle of the city. But they literally removed themselves from the city. They would live rural. They would get as far away from the godlessness as possible. They would live in the wilderness if they had to. It was, it was uh, in many cases, a way of, of escaping the paganism. And, and John the Baptist actually had some of the uh, elements of the Essenes even in his ministry, although he did acknowledge Jesus Christ, but he was way out there. And so, but some Christians today are like the Essenes, where they, uh, Christians who just want to isolate themselves, they want to remain holy, and they want to remain separate from everything else to create their own uh, holy culture away from the cities, away from the other people, where the other people are. Okay, now there's a fourth category of uh, of the the activists for Judaism back then, and the fourth category is called the zealots Now the zealots they were very passionate about the political end of things, and they were so angry about the Roman occupation and then forcing the Roman ways on the Jewish people that they uh they believed that that they had a god or ordained right to uh, to use violence to whatever political uh extreme or political ideology they wanted to fight against, and they actually did uh, they they would they had to be ready at any point to take up arms and start a holy war. In fact, there was one of Jesus' disciples who was this way. It was Peter. And he got real excited when Jesus said at the Last Supper, okay, and if you don't have a sword, be sure and get one. Peter's like, yeah, now's my time. And you know, he's out there in the garden and someone tries to arrest Jesus and he takes the sword out, tries to chop the guy's head off, he moves, slices off his ear. Okay, now that is a zealot. That is an example of this because because these people were ready to fight against the government. and um, and And in today's Culture. Well, we see the same thing. We see some who uh, who will elevate a particular uh, political ideology almost as high as their own religion. In some cases, above their own religion, and set up politicians as mini messiahs, and they're not. <laughs> so. Okay, now think about those four different categories, and as I mentioned those four different categories, you were probably thinking, I can kind of associate with one or, one or more of those, and, and I think every one of us, if you really look at them, you can say, you know, I can identify with various elements in each one of those, but but, and, and I, I've tried to think about this. If I were back then, where would I have landed? Where would I, which one of those groups would I have landed in? Because I would definitely have been an activist for the faith, but I'm not quite sure which one I would have landed in. I'm glad I don't have to make that decision today. But now there was a fifth group. There was a fifth group, and this was the rest of the people. And these were what I would call the fearful and the powerless. The fearful and the powerless, they hid their faith. Uh, they, they just kind of would go with the flow. They wanted to survive. They didn't want to make waves. And in all honesty, most of today's people who call themselves Christian believers fall into this category in our nation. Uh, they, they believe Jesus in their hearts. They try to be good people, but that's where it ends. Now, I'll be honest with you, I am not in that category. I don't, I don't believe that that's a, a, an adequate expression of our faith. And I know that as a result of that, I am in the minority minority but that's okay with me now see what happened though is jesus walked into this mess he walked into this mess of course he's the messiah he's not revealed all that to everyone but he's walking into this mess and it's and it's it's a bunch of frustrated offended and uh people and he he confounded them with with his wisdom he started off with the sermon on the mount and totally took everything that was being taught and turned it upside down and that's really where we are today And that's what ignited the movement of Christianity even before the church started. Really what Jesus did is he established the anointed, the anointed creative minority. And that's the title of today's message. I finally got to my title, the anointed creative minority. And I'm just saying that's where we need to live. I want you to look at each one of those words, anointed. I choose that word because it's, it's, it's critical to this whole picture. This means that you're full of the Holy Spirit. You're living your life to please God. You're a worshiper. You want to bear the fruit of the Spirit. You, you're committed to prayer. That's why like, t- tonight's prayer meeting is so important. You're, because that's where the anointing of God re- comes to rest upon us. Now there's the second word, which is creative. That word creative uh, basically says that you want to allow the Holy Spirit to infuse all of your efforts. And, and so that you can find and, and discover and, cre- and cultivate creative ways of expressing your faith in the culture. And, and you can penetrate the culture with that and influence lives. You can, you can flavor and influence through this creativity that is supernaturally given to you. It means being present and active in the culture. Now, minority is a third word. Minority uh, is is really... This understanding that most believers today will inevitably be invisible, and they will have little or no influence. Uh, Why? It's because they are prayerless, they're powerless, they're fearful, and so they become accommodating of the pagan culture just in hopes that one of these days they're going to go to heaven. I'm not saying they won't, but my goodness, there's a difference between having a reward in heaven and simply making it in through the gates, uh, when you're talking about eternity, I, I, hey, dude, I'm going for the reward, all right? <laughs> and it's therefore, if you're going to be part of the anointed, creative minority, you will definitely be the minority among Christianity, but that's okay. See, Jesus has called us out. He has called us out to be this anointed, creative minority, just like he did the disciples in the early church. See, this is actually what made the Christians different back then. This is actually what set them apart, and I believe this is what will make us different today. It means this. It means that you're willing to maintain strong links into the outside world. You're going to keep some good strong links out there, but at the same time, you're going to remain true to your faith. You're going to remain, remain solid in your faith, and you are going to keep the flame of God burning in your life. When I was a little child, we used to sing, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to hide it under a bushel? No. no. See, y'all sang that song in church, too. Some of you have been around for a while. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, and then the devil's going to try to blow it out. And that's true but but i and i sure i have a little candle but i want i want to have a torch i want to take that into the world i want to allow god's fire that is in me to transform lives outside of this room and to influence the culture that we live in and i want that to be for you as well now the challenge though is for us to participate in these challenging times to be active but not to try to control everything, to make it happen our way. Uh, not to uh, abandon the world, but to simply love the people around us. That's one of the most important factors. Love the people around us with this intense, extreme love of God and, and redemptively participate in the culture of what's happening around us. Now, I didn't say we become of the culture. No, we are functioning In the culture. That's what the early church did, and that's what we must do as well. And the New Testament is our handbook for that. And it works today, in today's world, it works better than it ever has before since the beginning of time. Now, here's one of the little, here's a nice little factoid. You've probably heard me say this before, but in this neighborhood, downtown Fort Worth, this is, the most, uh, this is actually the most densely populated neighborhood in Tarrant County. Welcome. You're here. Some of you live here. Then you know that. This is the most densely populated uh, neighborhood in all, of, uh, in all of Tarrant County. But within this neighborhood, it is estimated that somewhere between 1% to 2%, only between 1% to 2% go to church maybe once a month at most. Did you catch that? Here, hear, hear me again. It's estimated that within this neighborhood, only 1% to 2% of the people who live in this neighborhood go to church maybe once a month. Therefore, we're in the middle of the most unchurched, one of the most unchurched neighborhoods in all of Texas. Right here. Right here. We're right in the middle of it. And I don't say that for us to lament, to like, oh, man. But it, it, it is... It is a a thing, but I see it as an exciting opportunity to use the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make a difference in this culture. See, See, when we make the choice to be the anointed, creative minority, we begin to carry his presence wherever we go. Now, I ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 5, verse 14. Excuse me, verse 13, earlier, Matthew 5, 13. And I want you to follow along with me because this is Jesus' first big sermon, his sermon on the mount. And this is where he began to turn everything upside, upside down. He, 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 basically kind of attacked the thinking of all five of those groups that I mentioned earlier. And he set the standard, that's why the Sermon on the Mount is so important for us, it's the starting place, he set the standard for the anointed creative minority. Let's take a look at what he said. He said, you, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let, okay, get, get this, let your light shine before others. You see that again? Say that, look at that again. Let your light shine before others. Ah, say it with me, just to say it together. Come on. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Got that? Okay, this thing of invisible Christianity, it doesn't exist, all right? No. So that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. So you're living your life in such a way that people are going to see what you're doing. They're going to see how you're acting, and there's nothing people can do except give glory to God, all right? So that's a very, very common scripture, but I do know that the question does pop up and come up, then how can we do it? Now, I could end the sermon right there and say I preached the gospel because I did. I mean, I, I talked to you about how we're supposed to, about, about the importance of living out our faith, being a light, being a light in darkness and, and being a city set on a hill. But how do we do that? I mean, literally, how do we do, how can we become the salt of the earth? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to give you eight challenges. I'm going to move through these quickly today. We're going to have communion in just a few minutes. And then, but, but, but I want to share with you these eight challenges for anointed, creative, minority people, which is what I'm calling you to do. And, and, and I believe these eight challenges, they're going to help you to be this. And, and another thing, these eight challenges will help to break you out of uh, even emotional despair, it, it can lift you up and, and completely change your perspective even on your own life because it does have that effect. One of the biggest challenges with the people who isolate themselves, uh, the isolating group, the fearful people, is they end up having a lot of issues, a lot of struggles that would be solved if they just simply do the work of Jesus. I'm not saying that as, as a blanket truth, but it it tends to be that way, okay? So, so uh, there, there are so many believers, again, that, who feel sad, they feel oppressed, they're confused, and they feel hopeless because of the post-Christian culture that we're living in and the decay they're seeing around them. So, so they hide out. But we're not going to hide out. We're not going to do that. I'm going to challenge you to write these eight things down write them down because at the end I'm going to ask you to go back and identify one or two that God is speaking to you personally to begin to initiate in your life or if you've got all eight rolling then there's one or two of these that you're just going to, you're going to turn the flame up on you're going you're going to amp it up okay here we go number 1 be full of the holy spirit be full full of the holy spirit. If you don't do this, and I put this first, discouragement is going to set in. You will be you'll find yourself powerless and ineffective even though you are a Christian. And you'll end up getting burned. I mean, 40 days after Jesus had given the disciples their salvation experience, he said, okay, now I want you guys to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to be gone. But but I want you to wait, and I want you to pray together. I want you to seek God together because the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on you, and you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and you're going to be able to do amazing things. You're going to be my witnesses in all the world it's going to happen but you got to get that supernatural endowment of power that my friend is critical it's a critical element for what i'm challenging you to do again so i challenge you to be full of the holy spirit or else your efforts are just going to be the result of your own ingenuity and talents which is nice but it doesn't cut it for today and number 2 number 2 be a person of covenant relationships be a person of covenant relationships. That means relate well to other believers. Just relate to them. <laughs> and especially the other believers that you don't agree with everything about their theology. I, you know, I, I finally came to this years ago. Do you believe in the blood of Jesus? Do you believe in the sacrifice of Christ? Do you believe that, that, that God sent His Son into this world to redeem all mankind and it's only through Jesus that, that you can be saved and rescued? Well, yeah, good. You're my brother in Christ. Well, yeah, but I also believe that you can't eat veggies on Tuesdays. Well, then I'm not going to be your friend anymore because that's weird. You know, there, there's so much of Christianity that's like that today. My friends, I say this again because it's, it's a recurring issue because it's brought up to me quite a bit. But a lot these, there's so many of these self-proclaimed YouTube preachers that are out there. They're not accountable to anyone, and they're making a scene, and they're causing division in the body of Christ, saying, aha, I caught someone else who said a wrong word while they were preaching. Now we know who they really are. And that's a bunch of nonsense. That's a bunch of nonsense. So so turn that stuff off. You see that kind of stuff out there? You just block that stuff. Block it. Don't look at it. Don't go there. Don't go there. Because all that does is create division in the body of Christ. And we have to be people of covenant relationships. And it's not, Jesus commanded us, love each other deeply. And that love is not based upon what you can get from the other person. It's not based upon whether you even like everything about the other person. And you don't even have to like the other person. But to have covenant relationship with them is crucial. Critical. In other words, church, now is not the time to be a spiritual elitist. We need one another now more than ever before in the local body of Christ and the body of Christ at large. Number three is articulate the Christian narrative. Now, most people, most Christians are guilty of only sharing part of the Christian narrative. Uh... And, and many of our people, when they, they hear that, they're like, okay, so, so I can get saved. Like, well, I've, I'm okay. I, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> that is the response a lot of people have given. I've, I've had people tell me that. And that's only part of the Christian narrative. And I think we need to become very good at sharing the broader Christian narrative. We need to say the full Christian narrative. Now, Here, and which is the story of the Bible? Now, I'm not expecting you to quote the Bible. You don't even have to know all the Bible. But, but, uh, but there is this, what I would call, half of the story that looks like something like this. Uh, sin came and uh, that's where Adam and Eve, they, uh, they, they uh, uh, jump to that next screen. Okay, good. That's the half story, which is sin came. Sin arrived on the scene, and Adam and Eve, they sinned, which is all, this is all truth, uh, but then Jesus came, and he forgives. Jesus was the second Adam. He came, and he sacrificed his life. He was forgiven, and therefore, because of that, we all get to go to heaven, and we, we are saved, and we get to go to heaven. Now, that is half of the Christian narrative. That's all truth that's half of the narrative. And I don't think that, that little half of the narrative is good enough, especially for today's culture, because they're always saying, I'm fine. My life is good. My life is very good. I, why do I need all that? That's because we're only giving him half the story. The full Christian narrative looks like this. God created this perfect world. There was this wonderful, perfect, read about it. And look in your Bible in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. Oh, my goodness. It is this amazing, perfect world that God set up and he established and he created. It was wonderful. But then the truth is there was the fall of man. And they sinned. Adam and Eve sinned. And they they really brought sin into the entire lineage of mankind. And we're stuck with that issue today. But... Then Jesus Christ came, which is redemption. He came, and he bought us back, and he was a sinless sacrifice so that we can make the choice to engage that, and we can be set free. And so we then, there is going to be a day. We're not there yet physically. Spiritually, we're redeemed. But, but, but physically, even the, the physical way, because man was originally designed to live forever, okay? That, that was the original plan. Uh, the world was was originally beautiful. I mean, there were no storms. There were no there were no thorns. I mean, there were no there were no chiggers. So, but back then it was it was so wonderful, but everything got messed up because sin entered in, and. Uh, But the beauty of it is God restores everything. He's eventually going to restore you to a perfect body that's going to live forever the way it was originally designed. And he will also restore this world. Do you see that? All of creation will be restored. There is a future out there, and it is only through the power of God that this will happen where all creation will be restored. I'm saying no more storms, no more earthquakes, no more famine, no more poverty, no more hate, no more bloodshed, no more sickness, no more... Taxes, (laughs) taxes <laughs> no more tears no more pollution no more decay and i don't know what's going to happen to the chiggers they're just going to munch on each other but they're not going to munch on me you see get this jesus because of him and what he did he makes all things new there's this restoration of his original design now here's here's how to do this good homework for today go home and read genesis 1 2 and 3 You'll get through those pretty quick and look at the beauty of creation. Then look at how sin entered in and messed everything up. Then read the last two books of the Bible. Uh, It would be be Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Read those last two, and you're going to see how everything is restored. (laughs) That's the story. That's the broader story of the Christian narrative. So I challenge you, be able to articulate the story, the Christian narrative. Number four is to be a person of moral restraint, be a person of moral restraint today 's indulgence in sex and power and, and money uh, it, it absolutely cannot have a hold on us uh, over and over throughout the New Testament, we see listings of things that are often called the works of the flesh and, 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 and what we have to do is we have to crucify those passions crucify those desires, and, and, and then we, we begin to live out something different. We begin to live out faithfulness. We live out generosity. We live out servanthood, and that's what that's replaced with. And if you want to be a person of impact in today's culture, they will see you as different when you're not going after those things. And I challenge you, be a person of moral restraint. Number five. Number five is to take countercultural action. Countercultural action. I mean, literally do things that are countercultural, that are that are that are just different. And and here are some of the simple things that you do, and let people know that you do it. Uh, Go to church. Uh, you know, be a part of a small group or a discipleship study. Go to prayer meetings. And when you fast, you know, you know, it, It's fast for spiritual purposes. It doesn't have to be so that you can cleanse your body. Yeah, I know, and that's the popular thing in the culture. We say, oh, you're doing a body cleanse, you're fasting. Actually, it's, it's a spiritual cleanse, but yeah, I do get the benefits of that physical stuff, but, but begin to fast for spiritual purposes and minister to the marginalized and t- tithe. Those are things that the world will look at and say, Wow! Oh, what are you doing? It, it will cause them to scratch their heads. So people will know that you are transformed by God. And they're going to desire those things. They're going to, they're, they actually will give glory to God when they see you living that way. So take counter-cultural action. Here's the next one, number six, is to be a person of humility in the culture. Just quickly, uh, Daniel. Daniel is a great example of that. Daniel was a man in humility who knelt before the Lord three times a day, continued to pray, even though the, uh, the government said he wasn't allowed to. The government took him, and they, they, they uh, were going to kill him. They threw him into the den of lions. You can read it all in Daniel chapter uh, 6, I believe. Yeah, Daniel Dan chapter 6. You can get in there and, and read that and, and see how humility one, and he got the attention of the government. He got the attention of all the other people in, in town. And, and the culture was impacted because, in fact, they said, Daniel's God is a God we should all serve. It's because of his humility. He wasn't out there big, making a big scene. He was just praying. I love it. Here's number seven. Exert redemptive influence. I mean, that's, that's, that's where we creatively make Jesus known. Um, and this is, this is really based upon the Scripture, Matthew 5, that I are, that are read earlier. It's just creatively taking action. We have a ministry here in our church. We call it Cultural Streets. And it's, uh, if you are not don't understand any of that yet, you can go to the app on the news feed, take your Cultural Streets test, and that will help get you started. But to find your way eventually into one of the Cultural Streets groups that we're starting this year and, and find out creative ways that you can make a difference in the culture. Exert Redemptive influence. And number eight is be faithful and fruitful. Be faithful. At the very end, at the very end, I look forward to hearing one thing from Jesus. I want him to say, Tim, well done. You've been a good and faithful servant. I want to hear Jesus say that to me. That's what I want to hear. I live for that. So faithfulness is what he's looking for. You know what? The results in, in some people's lives, the, the results of what they do in this earth may be minimal. Other people, it may be huge and vast. You know what? You will not be um, rewarded according to the results that you brought about because God brings the results. You will be rewarded according to the faithfulness of doing the things God called you to do. Do you see that? That's important that's important so you need to see that your life bears fruit that's why i say be faithful and fruitful in fact there was a fig tree there's a good story of a fig tree where jesus saw a fig tree didn't have any fruit on it he cursed it he said well you know you're just going to be absorbing all the nutrients and and you're not bearing fruit you know goodbye and that was that's you know a lot of people looked at that said that that was kind of weird but what jesus is saying here is don't waste your life don't just be there taking up space produce fruit and and do something. Let people see and experience the fruit of the Spirit in your life and and the fruit of the Spirit in your coming and your going. And So I challenge you to do these things because it will bring health to your bones. It will bring health to your mind, your emotions, and your will. You were wired by God. You were wired by God to really be that anointed uh, creative minority. I tell you, the healthiest Um, spiritual as well as emotional people that I know are people who do this stuff right here. So, are you going to act on what you hear? That's my question. You know, that's my challenge. Act on what you hear. You know, you look over it in in your notes. You wrote down eight things. Pick out a couple. Pick out a couple that you need to begin to actually do and ask God how. search the scriptures how because god customizes this different for each person pick out a couple and maybe maybe you're you're doing again all eight and there are a couple that you need to add some fuel to the fire on you need to begin doing that more it's going to it's you're going to be a greater light for jesus and you're going to see yourself emotionally and likely even physically more uh more robust in every way who doesn't want that Scripture says this, Matt, James chapter one verse twenty-two, from the Message version of the Bible. I like how, I like how Eugene Peterson wrote this. Oh, look at this. He says, "Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you're anything but." Because I don't know, I don't know what you're going to do with this, but this is God's word. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you're anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, they walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like. Good picture, isn't it? I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. Did you look in the mirror this morning? Do you remember who was there? Yeah. Well, the Word of God has been a mirror now to your own soul. How are you going to take action on it? Take action. Take action. I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm going to pray, and I want you to take those, that one, two, I don't know, maybe it's a whole list you're taking before the Lord, but I want you to take that before God right now, and just commit yourself to God. God, I pray over everyone in this room, everyone who's watching online, who's a part of this, who's hearing this, and I pray that that, uh, that they will, that we will take these principles, and that we will utilize them, these challenges put them into our lives. We'll make them a part of our lives. We'll we'll put them on our calendar if we have to. We'll 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 write them in our and in, in our notes and put post-it notes everywhere. We're going to remind ourselves of doing these things and integrate these into our behavior as believers. So God so that we can truly be the called-out church that you want us to be so that we can be not just spiritually but also emotionally and I believe even physically re- resilient and strong. And I thank you for in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.